Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Thank you, Ben. And this is Tony LaGreca, and this is Courage to Hope. And we welcome everybody today to our show. And our guest tonight is Rob. We're just going to use his name Rob for now because he'd like to keep some of his stuff, personal stuff, out of it. So welcome, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for asking. Rob and I know each other indirectly through another source and also soon to be knowing each other through baseball. And... He talked talk to me today about his, was it a 501C or 503C? It was a 501C3, but it is now just a, a, a limited foundation, which is, is limited to myself and to my company. Okay. And so, Rob, what, what got you into this? Why did, you, why did you even start a nonprofit? What was the motivating factor? The motivating factor factor was I had um and and I haven't I had an uncle and a mentor that um you know was was my best friend um he was the reason why I got involved in athletics and and um pursued business and and all that and he took his own life and it was very painful for me and I I figured that if if there was a way that I could help other people not experience that kind of pain from losing somebody, I, I would do whatever I could to to do that. And so that's what we've been involved in for the last several years and now for the last couple of years as a foundation. And you were talking earlier that it seems to be a um, it's an it, it's a mental illness problem um, that is around suicide which obviously makes sense i can understand why <clears throat> that would be the case with just about everybody um you want to elaborate on that or what you know I, about I that i will i will elaborate i th i think there's just so many varying degrees and those of us who are not in the mental health field as professionals right what is the best source of finding information education self educating having conversations like this with people who have been through similar similar experiences. And then I think like all great efforts, like I've done in business over the last 20 years, the, the best word I can use is collaboration. Find people that have like interests, um, in this particular case, helping people, right? That might be in pain or have suicidal thoughts, or have had other members of their families who have taken their own lives um, figure out how to be a resource for them in whatever way you can. Correct. And, and who have you collaborated with and where, where direction have you gone on that? Mostly so far, we, we have collaborated with athletes, musicians, and artists, which is kind of our mission statement. We've collaborated to promote mental health awareness um, and and support each other with kindness and respect. And we have not worked with any groups that I, again, would say particularly because it, it would kind of give away my identity, but they've been in the baseball world and in the sports world primarily. But we also work with musicians and 
other right-brained people like artists, um, dance choreographers, or people that paint, or we feel like there is a very direct correlation with people who are right-brained and uh, we call them creatives and people that take their own lives or think about taking their own lives. So those are the people that I, that I usually work with. So what you're saying, people who are really creative, um, are prone to having suicide thoughts? I, I think more are prone to mental health issues. Uh, our our organization is not a suicide prevention organization. It's it's that's one of the things that hopefully we accomplish by addressing mental health issues that might be within families or within particular individuals that are in what I call these creative arts. Again, I always go over the different creative arts. Sports are a creative art. That's my thing. Uh, musicians, which was my uncle's thing, they're very creative. Artists in general, whether it be painting art or dancing art or theater, not saying that everybody that takes their own life is in one of these fields. I'm just saying it's more prevalent in creative right-brained people than it is in other areas. Well, I would suspect that if they are very creative, they they have a b ability to um, narrow focus in on things that they do so that they do them best. And but either that or they have a type A personality and they want to make sure that that they're the best at what they do and they probably practice constantly. I, I think so, Tony. And that also lends itself to how well are they managing the other areas of their life? Whether that means they're they're in a relationship, they're married, they have 10 children, um, they're involved in other pursuits besides their creative pursuits. For somebody that's suffering from mental illness, that can be a lot of pressure. And sometimes, you're trying trying to keep doing your art because that's what means the most to you. But maybe you feel like this happens a lot with people that suffer suffer from depression. Maybe they you hear a lot the words, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. I don't feel like I'm a good enough husband or father or, you know, in any case, it doesn't matter what what it might be. And then so what happens? You and I talked about this earlier. Sometimes they turn to drugs. Sometimes they turn to alcohol. No matter who you would talk to in the mental health field, none of that is is a good thing. So if you can catch it when children are younger and maybe starting to have some of those issues, that's great. If you can catch it in, in young adulthood and start addressing it through whatever realm it might be. Again, I'm not a professional, right? But if you can, if you can start to get younger people to be involved in therapies and and other positive reinforcements in, in, in helping them with depression or some sort of disorder, something like that. A lot of reasons why people take their own lives is because they feel isolated. And then for people that don't understand mental health, they'll say, well, they did it to themselves. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but it wasn't on purpose, right? They didn't plan to do it to themselves. They just didn't know how to get out of it.
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And I had a a relative not too long ago whose whose father died and, and his sister died actually on the same day from COVID. And six months later, um, he took his own life. And um, and if you looked at him on the surface, he was married, two kids, was a school teacher, had a great job, was a coach, and everything in the world going for him. And but the he he lost the, he lost the battle with the depression, and and um, and you know and no sign, no sign whatsoever, other than the fact that. It was quite obvious that his 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 spouse, you know, his sibling and his father both both died recently, you know, and so that. But he seemed to be managing it okay, and didn't seem to be a, a, an issue. And the other thing that was quite shocking was that he went back to his house where his mother lived and committed suicide in his old bedroom, which is. Um, uh, even more so, but he did suffer on and off from depression. So there's mental illness, and he he might have been bipolar, but he lived in an area where they didn't they they hardly recognize that kind of stuff. You know, there's some people that just don't get to that point. Um, there there's so many conversations I've had with people around mental health awareness. It doesn't always come back to suicide, but even even mental health challenges people that that suffer from something it doesn't matter whether it's italian uh irish uh of course in boston that's what we see a lot of right portuguese uh armenian uh turkish whatever it is every kind of people has struggles with mental illness but there are very few that even to this day, feel comfortable talking about it or being proactive about it. And to me, that's that's very sad. And I really think it needs to change. Again, the the primary people that we that we're exposed to through our businesses are people that are mostly musicians and athletes. Um, and and again, a lot of actors and actresses and things like that. But it can be in any field for sure just that's kind of what we see is that there are a lot of creatives that that suffer and they can't find their way out yeah and i i think Tim, even if you go back into history the the creatives as you you use that term um we'll, we'll see a lot of the real famous painters and artists have all yeah. been um suffered something and ended up in uh, taking their own life. Tony, think about the musicians. Think about Lots the musicians. Yeah, plenty. And and a lot that we don't know about that masked it with alcohol and drugs and it, it didn't it, it didn't make their lives better. They were tortured souls, but maybe maybe didn't know as much because they they self-medicated and that happens as you know with a lot of people that suffer from mental illness. They suffer well that and then I mean, one of the biggest areas we see today is uh, military. Um, I think it's gone down from 23 or 24 a day to 19 a day of veterans who commit suicide. And um, a lot of them came back from Afghanistan addicted to opioids. And 
they realize they some of them their their lives you know we don't take enough good care of our veterans to make sure that they are getting the treatment that they need that's my in my opinion we have right. a we have a big problem with um once they get addicted to opioids it's a very very difficult drug to come off of and you need uh medical assisted treatment like suboxone and that sort of thing and but when people get dope sick that's when they're really and they feel there's no out, no way out that's what i would believe is when suicide is comes into play and i've seen it over and over and over again so i um and the problem of course if you attempt to take your life and you're successful there's no turning back you know it's like that's it you know not everybody really thinks they want to die, but they do anyway because of what they've done. Now, now, what is your organization like? How would, how are you? How do you go out and and um, approach others to to do this aid? Uh, we don't right now. We we sort of let things kind of come to us. Um, what does I, that I, mean? Well, I do a lot of going out. Uh, so I'll give you an example. So. Again, it'd be kind of hard to do this without giving away giving away who I am. But I'm involved with um, major league sports at the highest level, and there's always conversations about mental health and in sports. I'm involved with music at the highest level, so there's always conversation about this. So we talk about within within that context, how can we help the individual? What are the resources that we can help them with? And, and how do we go about connecting? So this is just the Zorian Foundation is just the way that I do it. And I just said the name out loud. So it kind of gives away who I am. But Zorian Foundation is 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 me. And so it's through my network of people that I've met over the not only the 20 years of entrepreneurship, but really through all of my playing days and all of my affiliations with music and, um, and, and artists and things like that over the course of my life. And we just do things like this, Tony, we have conversations, people that are in, you know, um, you know, titans of business to like they say, janitors of schools to whatever everybody is exposed there's no buddy who's not um who cannot be affected by mental illness and suicide there's there's nobody that's above it or anything so really for right now it's it's just basically my people that i collaborate with in different areas of my life we, we figure out a way to help organizations mostly in a how would you say it mostly in a in a private way? Yeah. So I mean, do you actually counsel the individual? Or do you counsel the people they no, work they, they I, I work personally for? so I personally would counsel somebody, right? To the point of helping them to find if if they need it, right? To to personally find some so I'll give you an example. If I have a you, you know, a minor league player or college player that I really feel like is suffering, I'll reach out, um, talk to them about things that are bothering them, ask them if they've ever had, you know, any, any ideas or thoughts of suicide. Um, 
because that's something that I never had the chance to ask my uncle. I wasn't mature enough maybe at the time. I wasn't educated enough at the time. I knew he suffered, but I didn't know how badly he suffered. So now, what again, what does it hurt to have a conversation? Have a conversation with that person if they say, yes, I've had suicidal thoughts or this and that. I have people, again, not as part of the organization, people that I know that are mental health professionals and I can you know, have a conversation with them about what's the best way to help them. Most of them will say they need to find a counselor in their area. And then that way I can help them. Do, I can do some research and talk to people like you or somebody else and say, okay, this person lives in Cohasset. You know, is there is there a mental health professional that I can connect them with that might be a good resource for them? Something along those lines. Um, we're not raising money. We're not raising money. We're not uh, we're trying to raise awareness, but in a way that is um, not, there's a word for it and I'm going to find it, Tony. It's, it means private, but discreet, right? Okay. Discretion is huge in this industry. Nobody wants to be known as the crazy dude or the crazy gal or the person that can't keep their stuff together because that's, that's the first thing. That's the stigma in the first place and why we lose so many people that we love because they're so proud and they don't want to ask for help. So if you offer it for them and say, hey, listen, I'm here. It's not just going to be me. We're going to work with people to find out what you need, because you know what? We want you here. We need you in this world. We want you in this world. And ultimately, I think you really want to be here, too. It's just sometimes you you have moments of despair that there's been plenty of people that have had thoughts of taking their own life that have not gone through with it. Thank, thank God. Yes. Okay. Um, what else was I going to ask you? Um, when you're talking to a, an, let's say a baseball player and sometimes somebody who's a, the star of their high school team and they, they get into college and they, they get drafted and now they're in the minor league system um, I would think that it's a problem that, you know, out of the 500, let's say 500 people get drafted, maybe 25 ever make it to the big show. Right. Managing, and, so that's managing expectations. Yeah. Yes. And that's and different. That, and again, that is part of mental health, uh, understanding what your expectations should be. And the other thing is having a plan. There's a lot of people that are suffering that don't have a plan. And they don't have anybody to help them with a plan. They just said, oh, well, little Johnny got drafted in the, in the first round. Well, he's got better odds than the guy that, that, that got drafted in the 18th round, but it still doesn't have very good odds, okay? Still doesn't have very good odds. Even in the first round, doesn't have very good odds at making the major leagues. He's got better odds, but still not great. So what? how are they dealing with that and it's not failure how are they dealing with the circumstances how are they dealing with what's happening on the ground most people just don't have resources or the backgrounds they're coming from are not the same background that somebody who graduated from let's say harvard or boston college or even northeastern now with with the the quality of education let's say you're 
let's say you're graduating from high school and you get drafted in the first round and let, let let's pick a you know a, a a tough area right you're from new orleans and the family was low income and and whatnot do you think they have the same resources as the kid that graduated from boston college no 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 and not the same education unless probably not the same education and uh so again that's more i would say on 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 our business side which again we are we are a brand but we have different parts complexities to our sports business where part of our instruction that we do at our institute is educational instruction resources and making sure that parents are of of children are connected with those resources and if the kids don't have parents or they have parents that are lacking whether it's financial lacking or emotional stability now you're talking about we have resources for that right in particularly i'm talking about the sports field yeah so i was going to say resources for that. You, you, you don't want your athlete to plan for what happens if you don't make it you want them to plan to you're going to be a star, you know. I mean, everybody's giving them the ups instead of the downs, but you'd have of to. Of course, be a- and it's and it's not giving them the downs. By the way, there's not one athlete that we have that we're going to say this is what you need to do when you don't make it. No, we we want to say yes. You, you you this is where we think you can be. We think you can be here, but along the way, we want to man, man manage the expectations because what do all great athletes and musicians do or or artists they do the best job where they are right now and if they can focus on doing that they got a better chance in their chosen field but if they're you know thinking about well well this is what you know i'm 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 gonna make it this and that but but while they're focusing on their craft which is something that i i for for example, I'll talk because by the way, we what we didn't talk about with the, the guy at BC, that might be the guy that's putting the most pressure on himself, might have nothing to do with the parents, might feel like he gets drafted, let's say in the first round out of BC and doesn't make it. That doesn't mean that just because he's had a good education, this and that, that he's not suffering from mental illness or has suicidal thoughts. So it could be, could be that, right? And here's the thing, what we want to do with kids like that is say, hey, listen, especially with the parents is, listen, I see it in Johnny. He's driven, right? I think he's got a great shot. But here's the thing. Let's say worst case scenario, Johnny doesn't make it. We want to make sure that he has some skills beyond the field and understands that it's it's all part of the game. Not making it is all part of the game. Um, sometimes you can do everything right. And, and it just it doesn't happen for whatever the reason. We want to help build well-adjusted athletes that can say to themselves, okay, this is the time when it's going to be done, and here are some of the things that I can do. And they have the resources now to be able to do that because there's people constantly in their ear saying, listen, you don't have to figure it out today, but while you're figuring it out, Here's a job that, you know, you can go out, um, you know, start to make a little bit of money, 
start to, you know, maybe if you want to stay in baseball, it's something in scouting, or maybe if you want to take a little bit of a break, it's something in the, again, custodial arts. It doesn't matter what it is, but just something to give them worth that's beyond what they're currently doing. That That's beyond, you know, some people are ready right then and there to jump into a career in baseball and do something different within the game because they love it so much they want to stay a part of it. Some people have to get away from it for five or six years and they and they need to know they can come back to it, which they can. Just, you know, staying mentally healthy as well as physically. Yeah, a lot of, in my world, a lot of professionals that are having a hard time I see a lot of them turn to alcohol as a, yeah. as, as a way to survive through the whole thing. And, and um, I know one fellow that um, drank so much that he was playing professional football and he drank before and after every game so that he could be out on the field because he was afraid that people thought he was an imposter. He, he thought he wasn't as good as everybody thought he was. And, uh, was he in the NFL? He was. Okay. And nowadays, that that's a lot harder um, because you you don't see that usually reach that point. Usually, it's something else nowadays. Usually, it's some kind of a drug of some sort, and not and, and meaning not. I'm not saying alcohol is not a drug, but usually, it's not alcohol anymore. No, usually it's because they catch that earlier now. Yeah, it's. Um... I would assume now if they're not on opioids, it could probably be cocaine or Adderall or something of that nature. Um, That's right. Something to, to keep them up. So, and then they'll crash after the, after the, the, the game is over. Literally the game is over. That's right. So, um, what do you think about um, kids when they were little league and, Pony League and all those younger children. Do you think the whole system should be different? The 100%, way we hundred percent, one hundred percent. I and had it a was feeling you'd say that. <laughs> very much over COVID, we found out things that that were just evident to me in the past, and and you know sometimes you have conversations and just doesn't click with other with other people and now there's more there's more outside organizations talking about what are we doing wrong and the first thing is that the, there's no consequences to the parents because and I had a great conversation with a little league um director somebody who's involved in directing a, an actual little league and here's here's what that director said Think about it, Rob. If little Johnny's dad is screaming bloody murder and cussing on the field and embarrassing his son and this and that, we don't want to penalize the kid. We want to penalize the parent. But a lot of times, um, for for different reasons, whether it's little Johnny's the star pitcher or this and that, they 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 don't want to remove the parent or they let them get away with more or whatever it is. Then there are people that want, that do want to penalize the kid because that's the only way they can get the parent to stop. And there could be something where, you know, little Johnny's, you know, thing, 
you know, walks, you know, yells, screams something out. And, you know, again, little Johnny has to come out for an inning. I don't have the answers, Tony. I just know that I think you're going to see some big changes in, in youth sports in general, not just baseball. I think it's coming. It's reached a epidemic standpoint in all sports with parents just losing their minds. And it is so, affecting their children. 100% it is affecting their children. So what you would change is what make the parents not be able to. No, I would change the education piece first. I would make it mandatory that all parents, regardless of the sport, attend some sort of clinic that wasn't for mental health. It was it was for the league and mental health would be a component and teach them how critical it is that even if you suffer from problems, please don't bring it to the field so that everybody else sees it. Like get help on your own or whatever it might be. I'm not saying to be cruel about it. I'm just saying it, there's got to be consequences for behavior so that the kids learn that if you act like this, if your parents act like that, th that's not the norm. It's not normal. It shouldn't be accepted. And we're living in a period of time, unfortunately, and I'm not political, but in our country right now, we're living through the worst ever epidemic of non-accountability, of not being accountable. And we see it at the highest levels of everything, right? Government, business, sports, music, two different sets of rules. Can't be two different sets of rules, Tony. It can't be. Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, and and of course, the the person that I think in in these and um, amateur sports, the person that needs the most education is the coach, because if the coach is out of control, then the parents will go right along with it. You know, you got to make sure you got you recruit good coaches, people that know well, the game. Well, so I guess that's the other thing, right? That's the other problem. These are volunteer positions. Yes. And, and and there are lack of volunteers. So the people that are stepping forward and doing the quote unquote volunteer jobs are not. Again, hate to say it like this and be so blunt, but they're just not good human beings. They're not good human beings. Yeah, so you're they're not in the, with the wrong thing qualified. right there. Right. No, they're, they're not, not qualified. Before you didn't have to be, meaning. My little league coaches were not baseball coaches. They were dads. <laughs> so I guess what we're saying is th these guys aren't qualified dads. Well, yeah. Well, they, again, they're, they're not qualified fathers. They're not qualified teachers. And that back when you were growing up and then when I was growing up, like that was the thing was because of the sense of community, right? Baseball's a tribal game because of the sense of community. If little Johnny's dad was crazy, Tony was going to go over there and tell little Johnny's dad, hey, you know what? I don't I don't want you to embarrass your kid. Who's going to do that now? There, that's you probably get punched in the head if you do it now. Right. It's not a conversation that, that, that people are having. I was coaching one of my son's teams and just happened to be Cal Ripken. And I'm not going to get into detail, but but there was basically – a parent that verbally abused me because that parent said I was yelling at a kid. And I turned around and said, I'm coaching your kid. 
and I talk loud. I'm going to keep coaching your kid. After the game, if you want to take your kid and you don't want to bring him back, that's your decision. But I'm going to keep coaching him, just like I coach my son and everybody else's kid. So what makes you special? Right? And that's the problem is the, these people are not, again, they're not educated family people. They're not educated parents. Again, I'm not, not going to say it's just dads because some of the moms are worse than any any anybody. It's not, oh, yeah. it's not, it's not a particular sex. It's not a particular race. When we were growing up, Tony, one of the things we all realized, not we all realized, but that was taught, and I'm not going to say there wasn't any racism, especially in Boston, because there was. But it's worse now in, in the entitlement, not 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 on the side of people. I think we've come a long way with race in the country, and we've come a long way with with things. But you know what? There's no credit for it anywhere because we're seeing things like this happen. And I can tell you right now, this guy was was the same color I was. So it wasn't a racial thing, but it was just a again a bad parent thing. No accountability. The family structure is crumbling, and people aren't willing to learn when they bring their kids into something and just teach their kids about sportsmanship and and development and how to get better at a sport and how to do this. They just want to go play tournament games and give trophies and just bad news for, for sports in general. Again, I see it from the baseball side, but, but it's all sports. Yeah. Everybody wants everybody to get a trophy participation trophy that, you know, but the, the biggest thing I think in a lot is that uh, it's too much competition at an, at an early age. I would not, I would not think that kids should play real baseball until at least they're ten. They should have just instructional baseball, but they start having competition at age eight and nine. Some of that gets to the point where some kids just don't develop fast enough. Tony, and, there are kids all over the country at eight and nine years old that are getting on planes and traveling all over the country to play. Oh, I know the AAU it is taking is them everywhere. Insane. insane. It's out of control. It's bad for sports. It's bad for baseball. It's bad for parenting. It's bad for spirituality. It's just bad. It's bad for society. And again, yeah. that that's that's something that has to change. If it doesn't, it, it's at a it, it is seriously at an epidemic standpoint right now, and it's also at a tipping point. And I think you're going to start to see things change because. What happens in the economy, as soon as the economy changes, that's all going to collapse because it's all built on on sand. There's no foundation. It's going to crumble. Yeah. I'm not, in the, I'm, not, I'm not just like the economy. I'm not I'm not in the ways of predicting things, but this isn't a hard prediction. People that are at the highest level of sports understand that this is happening and they know it's going to crumble and they don't feel bad about it because they want it to crumble. They don't want 10-year-old kids on planes flying to Colorado to play in, you know, the Rocky Stadium at eight years old with, you know, adjusted fence, fences and this and that. It's very, very unhealthy from a mental health standpoint to have kids be done with baseball when they're 12, when they could go on and play for a lot more years. But because, like you said, you used the key word, Tony, they're getting too much pressure on them. 
You've seen it in the Little League World Series. These kids, you know, they, and by the way, shame on the Little League World Series. They can't wait to put kids on camera that are sitting there screaming and crying because they yeah. lost the game because it's good television. Yeah. I don't know why it's good television to see some kid cry, but apparently that's what they do. They want to oh, see it's him. Been that, it's been that way now for years. You and I could have another conversation on another, another day about what, Again, forget about just sports, but anything, any, I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't know if you remember, but, you know, uh, Will Smith walked up in the stage and slapped Chris Rock, right? That was in, that was in the news for, for like, it wasn't just the cycle. It it wasn't 30 days. It was, it was in the news for like three months. Why? I don't know, sold their ratings, it sold Hollywood, it sold, and should it have? No, I thought it was the biggest bunch of garbage I'd ever seen. I could care less about any of it, but I guess it sells newspapers and magazines and it sells airtime for things and commercials and comedy, I don't comedy know. guys, late night comedy shows. They were all using it as a couple of openers, you know, for their comedy act. Of course. It was like, yeah. That was part of the deal. Was it was it staged? God, it kind of looks staged to me, but who knows? You know, again, you've seen more than I have in your years. I mean, I thought, I mean, in baseball, I I never will say I've seen it all because I learned something literally every day I'm on a field. And as my old coach Joe Walsh used to say, uh, who was the head coach at Suffolk for me and the head coach at Harvard for like 20 years, he used to always say, <laughs> A day, a day on the baseball field is is better than being uh, a, a day. What did he use the word in the concrete uh, uh, concrete prison? Is what he called it. Oh yeah, the office, was... the office buildings, the pencil pushers. Joe Val- Walsh was one of the most creative and innovative coaches in the history of baseball, and he, I was blessed that he was my coach. And then in high school, when I was playing in Oklahoma. I was blessed to have another coach, Coach Teasley, that was the best high school coach in all of Oklahoma at the time. How does that happen, Tony? It's not just dumb luck. It's it's some things in this world are meant to be. And, you know, I, I was very, very fortunate to have the mentors and the coaches in my life, including my Uncle Roger. Just because he took his own life doesn't mean that that he was, you know, not – who he was while he was here touched a lot of lives, a lot of lives. So again, the reason why I have the foundation is because I don't want other people to feel that kind of pain that I had from losing them. It was horrible. It's still horrible. I want them here every day. I miss them. I love them. You know, spiritually I talk to them, but I'm not angry and I'm not, and I never was angry because I always felt very, very blessed that he that he was such a big part of my life. And again, I don't want to let him down just like, I don't want to let my grandmother down who raised me in my yeah. eyes. They can, they can see me. So every day I hit the ground, I'm, I'm thinking of them and you know, how do I do the best I can for other people? Because kindness, um, kindness is, is the most important thing in this world. If you can show somebody else kindness, especially strangers, um, in my humble opinion, you, you're doing you're doing God's work. Not everybody is going to feel that way. And again, I don't push my own agenda in this. That that's who Rob Zorian is as a person. That's me. I'm spiritual. I believe that there's 
you know, bigger things on earth than what, whether, whether my guy hits a home run tonight, bigger yeah. things on this than that. Well, my other show, when I ended, I always tell everybody that what the world needs now is more hugs. People hug each other a little bit more and 15 seconds long, 20 second hugs that you'd be, you'd be amazed at the effect that it has on people. And you don't even know really what's going on in their mind, but how much it, that you know, helps them get through the next couple of hours. There's a reason why we met, sir. There's a reason why we met. I feel the same way. You hold so hold on to somebody for 15 seconds and you, you could change their life. That's right. You know, I don't mean, you know, if it's just somebody you don't know that well, obviously ask them, you know, but I, I was. In Wait. <laughs> that sounds more like. A, so I'll tell you something funny. All my years in Boston, right? Um, that's more that would be more on the Irish side than the Italian or Armenian side. Right. Am I right? Oh, yeah. Italians would hug everybody. Armenians, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's that Mediterranean blood but uh, the irish as i know and i say that very lovingly because uh one of my best friends is a murray and another one is a dunn you know you don't hug them you 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 shake hands <laughs> but, but that's all right i i, I did again i don't i don't think it's as much that necessarily the act as it is the that 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 feeling that because because you care because you are available emotionally to somebody, it can change their life no matter what nationality they are, or where they come from, or like I said, the color of their skin or their gender. If they know that you're their person and you care about them, you love them, then, um, you know, I, I think you can, not you personally, meaning you collectively can change people's lives. And uh, the biggest thing in that is hope, right? Hope. That's right. Hope. People that suffer want they want they want to feel hopeful, and you, and and one person can change that life by by saying that there's always you know there's always a sunny day ahead. There's always a hopeful day ahead until there's not. And you've said it a couple times today already. Until there's not, if you're not here, we can't change it. That's right. We can. Um... You know? But I was going to say that um, another big factor is if you think somebody is hurting, is listening to what they say and stay in the moment with that person, have that conversation with them on the same level and pay attention to what they're saying. Don't try to think ahead of them. Just listen, listen deeply and listen to, to what is on their mind and understand it. Don't try to correct it or change it quickly. Just listen to it and see where they're coming from. And I think that that's another big, big factor. And I've uh, had to learn and I've had to learn that because you talked about type A personalities. You talk to people that know me. It isn't A, it's A plus, 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 plus. Yeah, Do, I, wanting to get things done. So, yes, that part of allowing yourself to hear, not not reacting, taking it in. And again, that's why I started what I started, because I know I couldn't do that by myself. I have to have resources that I can say, okay, you know, John, can we, I got that all, I heard it, we talked, like I'm just fast forwarding and saying, okay, but if we did all of that now, 
you might say you're feeling better, but would you mind if I brought in my friend, you know, Tony or whoever it might be to have another conversation tomorrow about maybe some actionable items that we can do that are ensuring that, um, that we're moving in a positive direction and that, you know, hopefully if you go back a little bit, you're not going back deep into despair or whatever. And some people might say, Hey, I'm good. I don't want any more help. Other, But like you said, you can listen, you can still be there to listen. Yeah. I always, I was always taught in school that when the suicide training is ask them if they have a plan, that's most important. You know, if they think about, oh, I'm going to commit suicide or I'm going to take my life. Well, do you have a plan? I said, yeah, bet I do. I have my 22 pistol right next to my bed and I'm going home to use it or something. Then now, you know, you really got to go jump in and get involved. And, or I got a bottle of pills. That, that I've that's been something saving. new I learned right there. That's something new right there. Now, when you said you had training, uh, what, where would you said it in school? What kind of training was well, that? Well, it's a training for people who are grief counselors. Okay. So I'm and not a grief, I'm not like a counselor, that. but I, I went to the training and because I'm a grief facilitator and I've done that. And so they have training classes. It's usually put on by um, like Cranberry Hospice was the one that had the training class over in Taunton at the Holiday Inn. So I, I went to a couple of classes there and I've gone gone to other classes just to learn. Uh, they have a, a thing called the IREX Summit down in Atlanta. And it's Can all about some information on that stuff, Tony. Sure. And Thanks. in each each course you take, you get you get credits. And I wasn't Thanks. doing it for the credits. I was doing it just so that I could be a better facilitator when somebody told me, you know, I said, What's your plan? And he says, well, I'm going to the Bowen Bridge and I'm gonna jump. And I'm like, oh, you do really have a plan, you know. That's right. that's that's different, you know. And if as a facilitator, if that happens, you you have to call nine one one right away, and you have to in, intercede, and you need you need to to respond or re, to act. Keep them talking, keep them talking until you can get them professional help. That was what we were taught to do. Um, it's very right. important. All right, and um, you know. So, Rob, you know, you're, you're, doing, you're doing the right thing. You know, it's like a, you're like a, a one-man evangelist here going out doing your thing. Um, and, and I think Well, again, that, not really yet, Tony, only because – and that was one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you on the show is not really. I, I really haven't done much yet except share the mission and – and try to basically, I've been very good over my life at building tribes, okay? Building tribes okay. Instead, of, instead of using the term networking. I'm not a networker. Never have I ever been a networker. I'm a worker. And I feel like when you work hard at something and something's really important to you, you draw people to you. So right now I'm in that process of building the 444 tribe, which is... That's the logo for it. The Zorian Foundation oh, yeah. 444. And so I'm in the process of building that tribe now. Love to have your help. Um, and the more people that we can help by facilitating all the complex components of mental health is 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 wonderful. And it, to me, if that means that 
you know, Rob Zorian personally need, should become a grief counselor or a facilitator for a grief counselor. Again, first thing I learned about any of that was today. So we're not really ready to be out there. And that's why I want to make it clear that we are not a 501c3 now. We do not raise money, but I'm really interested in collaborating with other mental health uh, professionals or people that are in are in the business of helping in the mental health field. I am very interested in that. So okay, it was just a great opportunity and timing when when we met, obviously through baseball, which is how I meet everybody, um, to talk about something you know on day one that's more important than you, me, baseball, um, sports, anything is 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 again mental health. And making sure that your friends and family and strangers and everyone alike has the same access to resources to help them. Because, again, it is it does not pick and choose based on anything. And that's, you know, um, I, I've heard people speak the same way about cancer. It doesn't matter if you've got a billion dollars. Doesn't matter if you've got the, it might matter a little bit. Right. Depending on what type of a cancer it is for treatments. But. In, in general, um, there's all kinds of illnesses that don't don't pick and choose people out there. And I got to be honest, mental illness is one of those. It affects everybody. Right. You, you know, you've seen people that are, you know, could be as high as, you know, president of the United States. They might not ever get out that they were mentally ill, but but they were right. You know, even with all of the checks and all that kind of stuff. same thing in the military right you have to get checked out before you get into the military sometimes it could be something that was deep down deep-seated maybe you were never in war and they're not going to say yeah this guy just flipped out but you've seen it a million times so by people in the military just like anybody in any other field are also uh they're not left out of that stuff so no and they have expectations too. And if the expectations don't come, they can easily sink going in the wrong direction. Of course. So, of course. Well, Rob, I want to thank you for talking to us today. And Tony, uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart having me. It's been um a learning experience. And um again, I think I probably have a have a face for radio as they say but but you're much more handsome than i am so uh, it was it was a pleasure to get to see you on the zoom and and uh and and get to know you briefly and i i i sincerely appreciate you having me on okay well thank you it's debatable about the looks it's debatable <laughs> okay so and this is the courage to hope and we today we've discussed there are things that take courage, and also we'd like to give hope. And this is Tony LaGrecker. And remember now, if you see this on a, on a, if you listen to this on a Thursday and you want to tell your friends, they can go back and see it, listen to it again on Monday night at six o'clock. So we're on Thursday nights at six and Monday nights at six. And then you could go to our website, wmexboston.com, and you'll see all of the recent shows of Courage to Hope as a podcast. You can listen anytime and you can tell your friends that they can listen anytime. And we really appreciate your time today. Thank you all. Thank you.